You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poole, and John Duke is alongside me. It'll be, it's been a little while. <laughs> Did I get a little holla? I, yeah, a little bit. More of a whoop. But <laughs> whoop. Holla, whoop. It's all good. It's all good. Well, I'll tell you what. It's been a while since we've done a midweek interview, and we're doing it right. We're doing it in style today. Mike Gorman, play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics, is going to be joining us. And everybody, I, I can't wait to talk to him about Scal, to be honest with you, John. But I think most importantly, on Monday's show, just a few short days ago, we talked about Isaiah Thomas and, you know, with the CBA coming out, making a decision about whether or not to commit to the future or win now, and Isaiah Thomas obviously being a real central figure in that argument. And then he goes off for a very inspired win against the Memphis Grizzlies, 44 points. I think the most impressive is just how efficient it was, 10 for 16 from the field. It's been a while since a Boston Celtic put up 44, John. It, it has been a while, and it no better time to do it. You know, at a time when, not to say the Celtics were listing, but but certainly they, they were, we were, we were openly questioning on the show, where are these guys going to go? This is a time when it's it, they really need to start making a move as a team. And Isaiah put the, everybody on his back, the smallest guy on the roster, uh, put everybody on his back and and carried him through. It maybe it's not it doesn't have the cachet of the Golden State Warriors, doesn't have the cachet of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but in terms of a win, a real basketball hard, tough nosed win. It doesn't get better than going to Memphis and winning in the grindhouse. And especially when the team, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. 31 points. 31 in the first half. First half, not the first quarter, the first half. And they come in with a, with a win in overtime over the, over the Grizzlies who've been playing outstanding basketball. Uh, really a good win to, to start to build something with. We'll see where they go from here. But I feel very good about the approach and and the direction the Celtics club's going right now. Mostly thanks to where Isaiah helped to lead them last night. Well, you know, and it's funny because the the that first half performance obviously uninspired. But the one thing that you could point to 
was the defense was still holding their own. They could have fallen behind by way more points than they were at halftime. That game could have been out of reach, only scoring 31. The one thing they did right, they played a full, I'd say pretty close to a full 48 on defense, just offensively couldn't get it going. And then the second half, the corrections came. You know, I still see a lot of hate for Kelly Olynyk, and I actually thought that the last two games, but even Memphis was a pretty good performance, and Brad certainly thought so as well because Kelly got a lot of run down the stretch of the fourth quarter after Jarebko had, you know, in Charlotte not so long ago gotten all the second half minutes. And when you look at that, I, I think there's a little bit of a case for the argument that you and I were making on Monday for Kelly to possibly go into the starting lineup, and yet I'm seeing all these Clay Bulk, Bulk, uh, Bookholtz comparisons like hey the red sox clean their house now clean your house and that's oh that's from some God. old friends at gang gang green but i think <sighs> kelly kelly actually i think is on the upturn right now he is no there's no question about it and I, look i i know people get frustrated with kelly i get frustrated with kelly i'm with Kim, you know but for all his faults I mean, they're, they're playing great basketball. It's really helping now Horford to have Kelly out there to create that space. I mean, he's, he's a much more efficient and, and effective scorer with, with Kelly on the floor. That, and I think defensively, they're actually playing really great ball with Kelly out there. I understand it's not the most, it's not the best thing to see. You don't, you know, it doesn't look like it's the most effective game that you could put out there, but it's working. The numbers aren't lying on this one. And, you know, I, I know people want to move on and this and that, but he's not where we want to start in terms of the issues with this team. There's a lot of other places you can look. Yeah, and the front court depth this week too. So I guess we'll get into a lot of this with Mike, um, and he's going to be joining us in just a minute, not to belabor the intro, but a reminder to follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore tweet live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS radio network at CLNS radio and the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash CLNS fans. Download our app. For iOS and Android, simply search CLNS Radio in your app marketplace and go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS Radio for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. Today's interview with Mike Gorman is brought to you by Blue Apron. You've been hearing us talk about them the last four weeks. They've renewed their sponsorship with Celtic Stuff Live for 2017. We couldn't be more excited, and for less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. There's calories right listed on there for each portion so that does all the work for you, and we're giving you your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. You're going to love how good it feels, tastes, to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. Blue Apron, a better way to cook, and now... At long last, and not yet on this show for the 2016-2017 season, is the one, the only, the legend, Mike Gorman. Mike, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? What, we've been doing this for, what, 30 years now? Something like that? 
<laughs> you have. That's why you're the legend. We 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 have a. I don't even know if we've quite hit a decade. If we hit it, I guess we hit a decade, John. But we took a yeah, break. Yeah. We're catching up, Mark. Has to be a decade. <laughs> We're right. trying to catch up. On I'm you slowing. Guys. I'm, I'm slowing down. You're catching up. I like that. I, I think you're. I think you're still a bit ahead. I think you've lapped us a few times, but uh, we're glad to have you back, Mike. And we're we're just, you know, we're you know we're kind of hit this you know this kind of holiday period here where it, it feels like, and I and I you're on the road with the team right now, and I'm wondering your thought is that you know we've almost two months of the season, a, a good kind of quarter post of the season. Do you feel like that there's maybe a turning point in the Celtics club right now? Well, I think they do, and I think that's what's important. You know, I I, I was surprised uh, when Isaiah said uh, the other night uh, that this this could quote turn the season around. And I was thinking, like, gee, I didn't know the season was in need of being turned around. Um, I, I know it wasn't going exactly in the direction everybody wanted, but it wasn't like we were, you know, five games under five hundred, and people were scratching their heads saying, "What's wrong?" Um, but I think the important thing is if the players believe that the game was a turnaround and maybe it can really be something of a turnaround for them. Certainly in the second half last night, uh, they played defense much like the team of last year. You know, the thing, the thing guys, and I'm sure this was true for you, you guys too, that whenever I went this summer, people would always say to me, you know, Mike, I really like this team. They, they play hard. They play with passion. They, every single night, doesn't matter what the score is. They're out there playing really hard. And then for whatever reasons, these guys up until last night, seemed like they were playing at 75 or 80 percent all the time um and last night was the first time that i really got the feeling that that there were five guys on the floor who were 100 percent into just attacking the other team and isaiah used uh, verbs like we took it away from them last night uh we we stole this game from them that they thought was theirs and and that's the most aggressive talk i've heard out of this team in a while so 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 maybe we have as we approach uh the holiday really, I won't say turn things around, but maybe they've rediscovered themselves. Uh, and, and if they have done that, then I think they're, they're in the hunt to be the second best team in the East. Um, the way they've played so far, uh, they're, they're frankly just not the second best team in the East. They're not as good as Toronto, uh, at least at the moment. Well, you really set up my next question really well, too, because, yeah, we know about the injuries, um, and then there's this question around effort, but I almost think that with the revolving door, I'm not sure every night was an effort issue. And uh, one of the shows on the network here, Celtics Beat, had an interview with Jack Armstrong right after that Toronto game and talked about how the Celtics seemed to be overcommitting on defense and actually were getting out of position, not necessarily from from maybe over hustling, but at the same time, you know, over committing to the defender and almost playing maybe too hard, but not smart enough. And you hear that all the time in the business world, right? You know, play work smarter, not harder. Um, but it almost yeah. just feels like the team might've been like that, but you said Isaiah turned the season around how much of maybe some of their funk was also the expectations that they put on themselves because they knew that everybody was going to be gunning for them and that underdog status was gone now. Yeah, and whether it was the expectations they put on themselves or the expectations that other people put on them that they believed. Uh, You know, before the season started, it was 
almost as if it was the national media that was an anointing of the Celtics as they are the heir apparent to Cleveland. They are the second best team in the league. The, when ABC came at time and, and Turner came time to pick their national games, one of the first thing is they, they have a 12 game limit that they can pick for exclusivity. And they just went out and they grabbed all 12 games uh, they could from the Celtics. Um, so there was this, whether the players got caught up in that a little bit, uh, I'm not sure. But I, from where I sit, I think they may have, frankly. Um, and so, again, it wasn't so much the expectation they were putting on themselves. It was how they thought they were perceived and how they acted accordingly. Um, and I think now they understand that they have to go back and not so much be an underdog, as you mentioned earlier, but they have to go back and be that very aggressive defensive team. To watch last night, the key to the Celtics' success, in my mind, is, are the guards. And, and last night was the perfect game for the Celtics. It was Isaiah on the offense and, and, and Bradley on the defense. And, and Bradley did a really nice job on Conley, I thought, last night. Conley's an excellent player. Um, and, and he gave uh, – Bradley made him work for every foot of the court that he got with the ball. Um, so that became kind of contagious. Another um, – wandering a little bit here, but I think another major factor in your question is the Celtics finally have the lineup they thought they were going to have on the floor for a stretch here. Um, and, and that's really important. You look at Oklahoma City. We're going to that game there a week and a half ago. It's the 24th game of the season for Oklahoma City. And you look down and the same five guys have started all 23 leading up to that 24th game. And they, they were going to start that night too. Um, the Celtics have had the same starting lineup and the starting lineup they wanted like something like seven times this year, eight times this year. So uh, I think finally getting the lineup together, finally uh, understanding who's going to be playing where, especially not only at the beginning of the game, but down the stretch um, has been a help for this team. And combined with the fact that I think they've reawakened defensively, uh, you know, through the first seven, eight games of the season, they were horrible defensively. They were, had rankings 27, 28, 29 in the league. Now they've, they've kind of worked their way out of that hole they dug. And last I looked, they're kind of a consensus 13 or 14 in the league. They get themselves back into the top 10 in the league. Uh, then I think we're going to have some fun here in the second part of the season. Plus, we won't be on the road all the time. <laughs> yeah, the schedule was a little rough, and it did seem like this year they were almost like uh, an inverted version of what they were last year, to your point about the defense created so much offense last season, and then they did not have that this year. And you would have thought immediately out of the gate their defense would have been dramatically improved with the addition of Al Horford if you essentially just substitute him in for Jared Sullinger's absence. But that wasn't the case, and... We know how the fans get. Everybody gets really antsy. There's all of these assets. We hear about young players and picks, and then December 15th rolls around, and now trades are sort of in play. We know Tyler Zeller can't be moved until January 15th. But there's this CBA kind of looming, and now those details are coming out. And so I really feel like in many cases people are either really anxious for a consolidatory trade to be able to vault them into you know, championship contender status, or maybe they feel like, oh, we have to look to the future. And I don't want to get into the win now versus build for the future conversation with you, except to say 
that the young players and their development, and I, I pick out four that if the Celtics did go with a youth movement, it would be Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, and Kelly Olynyk. And I kind of want to go around the horn with them and what your thoughts are on their development. Almost like we used to talk about in the old days before the trade for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. I remember we would talk about Delonte West and old friend Tony Allen who played the other night, um, amongst many other players, even Ryan Gomes. Good, you know, for anybody who's been following this team that's, I guess, maybe not a millennial. Millennial, those names probably ring true, and I know you remember them well, Mike. But let's start with Jalen Brown, a much maligned sort of pick in the draft last year. He happens to be a huge favorite of mine. John's already oh, snickering boy. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But Mike, I, it's going to get pretty deep in here. It's going to get ugly. Okay. <laughs> I, got, I, got my, I got my feet up. I'm good. Good. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> But this is this is a player. I had it down to Jamal Murray and Jalen Brown. And again, I'm no expert scout. And I, you know, I'm just a podcast host. But there were two players that I really had my eye on for the draft, and then maybe two or three weeks before the draft, I really settled in on on Jalen Brown. And and a lot of it had to do with the athleticism, plus the fact that he's a pretty uniquely cerebral player. And I thought that that would be a good match for the future. Do you like where Jalen's at at this point in his development with the minutes that he's been getting on this club? I do. Uh, uh, you know, he's the best athlete on the team. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, he, he's got great size. He runs the floor really well. He has a, a tenaciousness about him that, that, that I really like and that he, he tries to attack the basket all the time, uh, sometimes to his detriment, but I'd, I'd rather see him doing this than be reluctant and pulling up and shooting in between jump shots or trying to hit threes. Um, I, I think his progress is very good. I think right now he's probably – ahead of where they thought he might be because of some of the injuries the team has had. He's been able to get minutes, and he's made the most of them. And now he seems like he's a, a part of the rotation. He's not a key guy in the rotation right now, but he's certainly a part of the rotation. Um, so, I mean, if we're going to be passing out grades at the uh, three-quarter poll or wherever we're at right now, I would say uh, I'd give him a B-plus probably. From where I sit, and, I'll and take I think that. he, I think he has a potential has a potential to be a very good player. Um, and I haven't seen anybody or too many people. You could probably refresh me on one or two, but I can't see too many people in my mind who were drafted after him who I say like, "Wow, we could have had blank," because look what he's doing. Uh, anybody come to mind to you guys? Maybe Jamal Murray. He's the only one I think that has done anything. Yeah, I like I like point. him. I like him a lot, but I but you know. We got enough guards right now. Right, uh, amen. <laughs> and yeah, and speaking of guards, <laughs> let's go right there. I mean, we've there has been, I think, an effusive amount of praise coming from Celtic Stuff Live towards Marcus Smart over the last few weeks. Uh, I thought the early part of the game last night against the, the Grizz, he wasn't showing that same burst, and certainly before. Uh, since Isaiah has returned, I think he's maybe trying to find his, his niche a bit. But, I mean, to me, it seems like Smart's taking a huge step forward in terms of his playmaking, his ability to operate the team. His offense, in terms of scoring, though, is still a bit too spotty for, for my taste, but I'm very happy with his growth. Where do you think Marcus right now is in his development and, and being able to contribute to this team on a regular basis? 
I'm a big Marcus guy because I think Marcus does things that nobody else does. I think he's a, he gets into uh, scouts always talking about trying to get into the other guy's airspace. Well, Marcus gets into your airspace and then he rummages around in there for a while. Um, <laughs> he, he, he went he went three games there about two weeks ago where the guy he was covering got thrown out of the game, um, and and that's an indication of how he frustrates guys defensively, um, how physical he can be, and, and then flop. And, and on the next trip up and down the court. Um, so, again, I think Marcus is a unique talent on the defensive end of the floor, and for that reason alone, if he never, if he averaged eight, nine points a game for the rest of his career, I still think he's a guy that you want in your rotation as a six, seven, or eight guy coming off the bench because he can come in, he can stop people. Uh, he can stop two guards. He can, he can cover, he has the capabilities to cover point guards. He can cover small threes. Um, he, he just can be, and he's very physical and he sets a physical tone when Crowder, Bradley and Smart are on the floor at the same time. It, it, it's, it's like a mugging is going on out there. Um, Marcus, Marcus, Marcus does something that I, throughout the years of, of doing this, can't recall anybody who does it anywhere near as well. I can't even recall anybody who really does it as, at all. And that, you know, two out of every three games you watch, Marcus will just rip the ball out of somebody's hands. I mean, so somebody will get a rebound and come down and they get two hands on either side of the ball and all of a sudden Marcus reaches in and just pulls it away from him cleanly, uh, which guys just don't do in this league. You know, guys slap down on the ball a lot, but you don't see guys reach in and just rip the ball away. It's like a, uh, it's one of the things that's going on in football that I think has really changed the game. Guys don't try to tackle a guy with the ball anymore. They try to tackle the ball. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, that's exactly what Marcus does defensively, and there are other guys around the league who do that. So, uh, I'm Marcus Smart will always have a place on my, on my roster because I think you, you need a player like that who who brings that toughness and, and physicality to the game every night. Not to get too far off track, but he was doing so well during that stretch while Isaiah was out. At times, I mean, they they weren't they weren't the team wasn't you know playing great gangbusters or or exceeding expectations, but he was doing so well. I think in that role, we've had a lot of discussion on the show, Mike, about the fact that there's there's almost two rosters at play, which gives Danny all these all these options, right? He's got all these trade chips, and we have this veteran core with Isaiah and Horford, and then we have a younger core with with Jalen Brown, and, and you know so. At some point, you wonder if Danny's going to have to choose, right? And I guess my question is, is going back to Marcus, have we seen enough out of Marcus here in these last few weeks, particularly when Isaiah was out, to think that he's a guy who could maybe run this team or, or be that point guard? Of, I mean, we certainly know he's a, he's a player, an NBA player, but is, is he a guy who could run an offense and run a team like that on a consistent basis? As as your primary guy? Yeah, your primary guy. See, I... I I don't want him to be worried about all that responsibility about running the team. I want him to be shutting down blank. Uh, I, I want him to be covering somebody else on the other team and completely taking them out of their game. Uh, and to ask him to do that and be the point guard at the same time, I think is asking a lot of any player. So again, I'm not trying to pick on Marcus in particular. I think that would be right. asking a lot of any player. Um, you know, the most successful coaches and, and, and GMs that I see are guys who, allow players to play to their strengths as opposed to try to make them something else. Uh, and Marcus's strengths lie on the defensive end of the floor. And, and that's where ultimately 
I think he's the best contributor for the Celtics. Uh, I, I, to go further down your list, when you say, can Marcus be the, the, the guard? I, I'm, I didn't think this when the season began. I'm beginning to believe Rozier could be that guy. Well, that was that was the next guy I was going to bring up because Terry Rozier, I, I just love watching it. I mean, I love watching Marcus play, but there's something about Terry Rozier. His speed is, I mean, just he's a joy to watch when he, when he's under control and he's playing as he can. There was some, some bad decisions last you know, against the Grizzlies, but boy, what a difference maker he can be in, in, in certain situations. Oh, no question. I mean, he, he is so much better player than I think any of us realized he was when Danny made the pick. And, you know, Danny didn't win a lot of funds when he made that pick, but Danny's getting the last laugh on, on this one because this, this kid's really solid. He, he sticks his nose in there. He rebounds the ball really well. Look at his turnover numbers. They're ridiculously low. He, he makes very few mistakes with the ball. Uh, he, he's a little bit of a, a throwback guard in the sense that he doesn't really look for threes. He, he looks for the best shot. He's very good at pulling up, uh, you know, 15, 18 feet and hitting that shot. Um, he's aggressive defensively. I wish he were a little bigger, but, you know, you can't change that. Um, you know, that, that's one of the overall – I won't call it an overall criticism, but one of the overall negatives for this basketball team is just, this is just not a big team. They're, uh, it's just not a big team. They're, they're one of the smallest teams in the league, I think, in terms of height. Um, but again, not in terms of heart, not in terms of tenaciousness. Uh, and, and Terry has those. I, I, uh, he, he's a keeper in my mind. Uh, you know, I, I hear all these guys, I, I know, it, it, when you're doing stuff like you guys are doing podcasts and, and, and shows, you it, you do them to speculate. And so I I, uh, I I don't knock anybody for speculating. But when I hear people talking about trades, I I, I always hear about who's going out. I never hear about who's coming back. Um, and you know, so when I, when I talk about Marcus Smart as being a guy I don't want to trade, and I talk about Terry Rozier as a guy I don't want to trade. Um, you know, guys like Michael Felger, you know, on my case, and I said, well, you want to keep everybody. Well, I don't necessarily want to keep anybody, but tell me who you're going to get for them, and then I'll tell you whether I'm, I, how loyal I am, how much I want to stay with the guy we already have. Um, and, I, again, I think I think the Celtics are in an interesting position because they have a few more number ones coming down the road, and uh, every game Brooklyn loses, you know, it looks better and better in terms of what they can get this year. But at the same time, we all know you win NBA championships with guys who are in their late 20s. Uh, you don't win NBA championships with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. So, um, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think Brad Stevens really wants to coach a team full of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what the Celtics do going forward with these picks uh, that they have. And, again, are, is there a four or five year in the league, six year in the league guy out there who's, who's a, a, a borderline all-star, if not an all-star that you can, you can get for some of these picks and, and have again, that, that age that, that win championships. Again, guys, you, you look back, you, you don't see any NBA champions that have like two guys in the starting lineup who are 21 and 22. Well, and if recent history, the first time around under the Danny Ainge era. I hate recent history. Recent history usually proves me wrong. I hate that. 
<laughs> well, I was just going to say, some of these guys are going to go, and you're right. If they're going to win a championship, they, they're not going to be all 20, 21-year-olds because then you're going to have to wait almost a decade, and history does repeat itself, and the likelihood is that a move will be made. You know, we know we know you're not a fan of bringing Cousins in. Blake Griffin's out for yet another injury. I think the list of potential targets okay, is hold, dwindling. Hold, hold, on, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. Okay. How after what's happened after what's happened the last forty eight hours or so? How could you want cousins on your team? There you go. <laughs> but There's, but let's I, be real, no. Mike. You had your mind made up a long time ago on that one. <laughs> oh, I, I I did. I mean, I did. But I mean, yeah. And he just helped me prove my point <laughs> over the last twenty four hours. <laughs> uh, no, amen to that. Amen to that. I, you know, but but. Talent trumps, and you never do. You do you see any way that they would end up doing that? Even though the character thing is just such a huge red flag, and and seems to fly in the gray against the. I mean, I'm really mincing uh, colloquialisms here, but you know, the, his his it tends to go against what the team stands for. Like this is all about culture now. I think that's why Danny told Isaiah Thomas he thought he could be a legend in this town because here he is, this underdog star that just fits New England like a glove. Bringing in somebody like Cousins Mm -hmm. really hampers that that culture. So is there any circumstance where you think that might happen or do you think that's really just like completely off the table for this organization? I, again, I'm, you're talking to the television announcer, okay? I, I don't. I, I, I'm not sitting around the table with, with Danny and Austin and and and, and Wick and Steve. And I, I'm not in that room. I, I don't even know where that room is. So um, I'm just giving you my opinion. And my opinion. I, I got gotcha. you. That I'll I'll be very very. I'll be that guy shocked in the corner at the press conference when Cousins is holding up a Celtic shirt. Uh, They'll have to wheel me into that one, I think. Well, we'll hope for maybe <laughs> we'll hope for a sleeper situation like Paul George. That's kind of there's there's a there's a small group of people hoping that he might shake loose. And you know, the CBA does create an interesting dynamic where the media does have a fairly substantial influence over players' ability to get their next paycheck in a way. So we'll we'll see how that all plays out. But we we fans, you guys, you guys assume. You guys watched the game last night. I don't know how much we're dating ourselves on this podcast, but you watched the game, uh, the Celtic game that they won last night. Again, he said last night. And um, where were we last night? Memphis. <laughs> Memphis. You're probably, are you thinking about Marcus Saul? No, I'm not thinking about Marcus Saul. I'm thinking about Jermichael Green. Oh, yeah. Um, had a dozen oh. rebounds last night. 6'9, athletic, strong. Not looking to shoot the ball, just looking to go and rebound the ball. I mean, that's the thing the Celtics need um, more than anything else is is a a rebounder, somebody who's really focused on just getting rebounds. The guy who's most focused on getting rebounds for the Celtics is Avery Bradley. Um, and I'm not saying that the other guys don't have the focus. I'm saying that they're just too busy doing other things. And, and often in the case of of Marcus Smart and Al Horford, they're covering guys who are a couple of inches bigger than them with with, with a bigger reach than them. Um, again, this is a small basketball team. And, and so a guy, someone like Jermichael Green, who you say, who? That's who I think the Celtics may find and bring in. Somebody who's the eighth, ninth, or tenth man on somebody else's bench because they're not taking advantage again of, of what somebody can do. And you need to find somebody who's a, a rebounder 
for this basketball team right now. Whether they're in the CBA, whether they, I don't know, they necessarily come out of the college draft, but uh, whether or not you find somebody, again, who's down the end of somebody else's bench. The two big kids in uh, Denver, uh, one of those guys would be Your a very kitchen, nice kitchen. Yep. We talked yes, about that after the Tommy, last Denver Tommy game. gets them confused and calls them the same name, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, you That's know what? Great. He's earned that right. We'll just we'll put it that way. He's earned yeah. that right, as yeah. have you. Um, yeah. Oh, he did. We did a whole game where Tommy referred referred to him as that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. You know what? We we have to take a quick break uh, to hear a word from our sponsor, Audible.com. We're going to come back with television play by play voice of the Boston Celtics, Mike Gorman, and we are going to get we're going to get into Tommy. We're going to get into Scal, and we're going to finish the thought on the young players, that young core, and especially as it relates to big men, because Kelly Olynyk is somebody that I think we need to talk back, talk about a little bit further. We'll be right back after this. All right, Mike, so we kind of left it off there before the break on Kelly Olynyk. I think that's where I want to go first. We were joking about Tommy and, and Nurkic and Jokic, and I, and I do want to get there as I, as I also want to talk about somebody you're spending a lot more time with in, in Brian Scalabrini, but Let's talk about Kelly Olynyk because I think at the beginning of the year before, as we mentioned earlier, when that, when the expectations and everything was kind of really piling on the Celtics for their season, one of the maybe smaller training camp debates was whether or not Kelly Olynyk, were he healthy, which he proved not to be, would he be able to move into that starting lineup in place of Amir Johnson, specifically to space the floor, not so much as a shot against Amir Johnson's uh, veteran play, but just that, you know, that would create potentially more space for Isaiah Thomas to work. Of course, Olynyk's rehab from the shoulder surgery took a little bit more time. It looks like over the last couple of games that Kelly has gotten his uh, gotten his aggressiveness back anyway, and I thought that was something that was really lacking. And last year, before this uh, this injury actually reared its its ugly head around the All Star break, he had started to get much more aggressive. Statistically, he's one of the top defenders on the team, despite lacking. I would say the physical, the traditional physical skills, but as a team defender, he makes up for it. What's your thoughts? Have you have you noticed what I've noticed, which is a more aggressive Kelly Olynyk in the last few games? Yeah, without question. Um, you know, Kelly is the, the Kelly is the future in the sense that he's a stretch five, um, and you know we went we went through the whole procedure of getting used to or the process of getting used to stretch fours, and now stretch fives are what are required in a game. Um, so, yes, I think Kelly's making really good progress. I think he's uh, – I agree with you on his aggression level. Um, I think he's feeling comfortable on the floor, more comfortable on the floor than I've seen him in the past. Um, I think that's really now he's – the shoulder is behind him. Um, he does, He's not thinking about it at all. Where I thought when he first started playing, when he came back, he was thinking about the injury. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I, I think, you know, they're going to have to make some decisions on Kelly coming up. But, uh, you know, again, he's a, he's a seven foot guy who can shoot threes. Um, I think he's a very good compliment to Amir because Amir's game is basically eight, 10 feet from the basket, both offensively and defensively. Occasionally you'll hit a three, but when <laughs> I love it when Amir gets a chance to three because he can catch the ball. He can spin it around his hands a couple <laughs> of times. He can like look over the bench, go, Hey, you want me to shoot? Do you think I should shoot? Maybe I should. Okay. I guess I will. 
and, and like nobody challenges him. Uh, obviously, the scouting report is like let him shoot it if he's out there, um, and, and and that'll happen once a game. I find that really amusing. Um, but I like Amir. I think Amir's contributions don't necessarily always show up in numbers. He, he's the physical presence down low. He moves people around. Um, I don't think one of the things you, you do when you have Kelly on the floor a little bit is when he's stretching the floor is, is you leave Al alone uh, down, down low. And that uh, on the defensive end, I'm, I'm talking about now. And, and uh, I, I don't think that's really the kind of pressure you want to put on Al totally to be everything. He's, he's been a lot. He's, he's got a much more complete game than I ever realized when I watched him play in the Hawks. Um, He's a clever passer. He's a quarterback out there. He talks a lot, um, but he's an undersized center. Um, so that's where someone like Amir helps him out physically, where I'm not sure Kelly necessarily, those play to Kelly's strengths. Kelly's strengths are more on the offensive end, as you say, stretching the floor. Yeah, I was, I'm glad you brought up Al Horford because I thought that in stretches here, I mean, he's been just almost jaw-dropping, I think, night after night. And you just see him do things, and you're like, how does a guy that size have that sort of sense, court sense, and, and ability to you know see things mm-hmm. before they happen? And and I think the other thing that I would add to what you said, Mike, as well, is the shot blocking. I mean, he's been – he looks like Inspector Gadget. I mean, oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's, yeah. Every, I mean, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I know. He, again, and he he's a – very nice, quiet guy off the court. Um, family man. Um, it, again, is 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 a much more complete player than I thought. But he, he's he's again, he's not big. He's probably six nine. Um, and um, again, I think the Celtics got to come up with a with a a six nine six ten rebounder. Whether he does anything else is is irrelevant. Um, I think he just they just need a rebounder. Uh, and Amir does that when he's on the court. He, he, he takes up space, and, he, and he's physical with guys down low. We can't really afford to lose that without getting it back. Uh, if any, he were involved in any kind of trade, I know from a trade point of view, he has a very desirable contract. He's uh, for for Al. Uh, it, there was a lot of talk. I think some this summer by writers, and and then I, I read it again. Zach Lowe wrote this again. But how the Celtics were viewing him more as a center than as a power forward, and I mean, I think from comments he's made and from the way he's played, he's certainly portrayed himself as, as enjoying being able to be next to a guy like Amir. I mean, we heard that a couple of weeks ago. There, I, you know, I wonder if that's if that you know, the Celtics should be looking, you know, not only looking at the, the bookend to who the other big is, but should they be looking bigger? Should they be looking for a seven-footer in the face of a league that seems to be going smaller and smaller all the time where you've got, you know, Jalen Brown, 6'7", Jalen Brown playing power forward for stretches. It's it, it seems like a funny thing, but you're right. I mean, Mike, it's it, they need to have somebody next to Al Horford if Al Horford's going to be a, a real uh, cornerstone for this team for the next several years, right? Yeah, they do, and, and we we talked about um, uh, starting games and finishing games when we were talking about Isaiah earlier. And um, you know, if you look around the league, if you watch you know games on the League Pass or, or, or on ESPN or some of the other places you can find at TNT, where you can find games, you, you notice that when you get to the final, you need a center, you need a big guy, you need a rebounder to get to the final five or six minutes of the game. But the five is, final five to six minutes of most games are small ball. 
um, the, the bigs that uh, traditionally, not traditionally, the bigs are usually not on the floor, and it, it, it becomes a small ball game down the stretch. Um, and that plays to the Celtic strength. I think that's one of the reasons why, when you look at the numbers, Boston is, is so good at scoring in the fourth quarter. Um, and and it's, it's, it's such a, a second-half team, uh, but especially a fourth-quarter team offensively because they get to play the guys they want to play, which is basically the small Al Horford and, and a smaller lineup. Um, and, and other teams tend to match that. And, and, and forget about the Celtics. Look at other games. It, it, the Cleveland Cavaliers down the stretch. Um, it, it's a small ball game. Uh, and so what we need, is, uh, I feel, is, is a rebounder to get us to that position. We've we got the people we want to be on the floor. You want Marcus on the floor. You want Crowder on the floor. Uh, you want a lot of guys on the floor who aren't necessarily big. You want Isaiah on the floor. You want Avery on the floor down the stretch. You want Al on the floor. That's that's the lineup that's going to win for you most of the time. But that lineup probably averages, and if you average out their height, they're probably six seven. Mm. So um, again, I, I don't think I, in my head I know how I'm answering your question, but I don't think you need <laughs> the, the, the center to be the stud to be the, like the guy on your team. You, you, that's why you don't necessarily need a Cousins, you know, because Cousins needs to be on the floor and playing the, the big man game down the stretch. And that's not the way the game is going. Guys are shooting threes down the stretch. How about Blake Griffin? <laughs> I, I just got to mention it. Six, you know, nine, rebound. I, you know, yeah, sure. Here, yeah, but. exactly. In terms of dimensions and everything, fits the, the mold. Um, Injuries. Ugh. Seems, of, seems of late to have a hard time staying on the court. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that's not a, that's something a guy can't control. It's not his fault, but he just seems to be a little snake bitten that way. Um, but yeah, I know he's, he's a skill type of player you're looking for, but there, you know, there aren't a ton of Blake Griffin's floating around right. the league. Right. You know, he, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a terrific, I mean, again, he's, his injuries have hurt him, but uh, he's a remarkable athlete. I mean, we, we talk about great athletes playing the game. He's, he's in the top five of the game in terms of just pure athletic ability. And it seems like he's got the smarts too. Where a, a pass, he's he's a really good passer, skilled passer for a big man. I mean, and, and having him operate in the same areas, or having he and, and Al kind of pulled out, uh, you know, up at the top of the key on either side, elbow extended. I mean, boy, those guys could really pick apart defenses in ways that we haven't seen maybe since Sacramento when they had Devots and, and Weber, where those two bigs are just mm-hmm. moving the ball around. And, and, and the other guys around them, they're more defensive perhaps, and that maybe that's the model is more of a Sacramento Kings of the early 2000s. They could run um, a two-man game, those two. Sure. Yeah, how about the two-man game? How about the two-man game in Memphis? I mean, there was, there was stretches. <laughs> yeah. There were four, five, six possessions in a row. Conley and Gasol were the only two guys who touched the ball. Amazing. Uh, and, and, it, and if you if they took if they took a shot and missed, you could see like somebody like Jermichael Green to get the rebound and immediately turned around. And he's going like, "Where's Where's Mike? You know, Where's Where's Mark? Uh, <laughs> somebody take this from me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to get yelled at if I keep this. You know. Uh, so uh, uh, they they were remarkable. But the uh, I was talking to the play by play guy for the game, and he was telling. In, in the previous game, in the final I think it was the game uh, against Sacramento, the previous game they had played, uh, Gasol and uh, Conley only touched the ball. Nobody else in the team touched the ball in the final nine possessions of the game. 
Wow. Actually, well, that's a predictable situation too. So that that made it that makes it easy for a defense like the Celtics to to jump all over that. You know, speaking of, you said you mentioned you talked to the uh, to one of the announcers for the Grizzlies, but speaking of that, um, you know, we played Charlotte, and they've got a lot of. Uh, Roots in New England, and, and you always do a nice job, especially for a couple of Mainers like John and I. You always do a really nice job of tying in, you know, like maybe a coach from the University of Maine at Farmington. And I, I always remember your days with the Navy being stationed in Brunswick, and I feel like you almost have kind of that kindred connection with Maine. Like you're kind of looking for that um, anytime you know we come across a team <laughs> with some connections. Am I right about that, or is or or is it just your vast knowledge of the league in general? No, I, no, thanks. I did not have, John Grandy has a vast knowledge of the league. I, I don't have a vast knowledge of the league. Um, but yes, I do enjoy trying to find New England connections. Um, and, uh, you know, there were just, it was interesting that the, on the Charlotte staff, there were like between, uh, Patrick Ewing and, and, and Steve Clifford and, sure. uh, who else was on there? Somebody from St. Anthem's was on there. Okay. Uh, there, there, were, there were a lot of New England connections and that's, I always get a kick out of that. Yeah. But that's right. not, uh, Scal, Scal and, 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 and Grandy are the two guys. They have, they get in discussion sometimes. I feel like, wow, what are they, have I been doing this for like 30 years? I, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you segue so well. You make this job easy. And that's definitely one of the many reasons why you've been doing this for 30 years. But let's talk about Scal a little bit because I, I honestly can tell that he's working on this. Like he I he's a player and I that transition can't be easy for anybody. And one thing that helps Scal is he's always had this very colorful, boisterous personality and he's definitely, you know, social. I remember seeing him in the background after the Celtics won, you know, the seventeenth championship and he was he was not so closed up in the locker room, but very much out and about. And uh it was enjoyable to watch during the celebration, but he's somebody I'm, I can hear that he's clearly taking advice and instruction to improve. Like he's not just resting on the fact that he played in the NBA and, you know, he, he's a good, he's a good color guy. Um, just for that reason and the connections to the Celtics, it really appears to me like he puts some diligence in sort of understanding the profession of broadcasting. And I thought maybe you could illuminate that a little bit as he's evolved over your time in working with him. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. Your observation is, is, is right on. Um, I would say conservatively 90% of the guys who try to make the transition from being players to, to color analysts just think, well, I'll just show up and do it. Uh, and, uh, Scal is just the polar opposite of that. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time on the road with Scal just talking about technique, talking about body language, how you should sit, how you should handle a camera during interviews. Um, I mean, he really loves to get into the minutiae of broadcasting. Um, his, his preparation is, is through the roof. Um, he's a much, much smarter basketball guy than I ever thought. And, and I, that's not to say that I thought he wasn't a smart guy. I just am so impressed with how smart he is. I mean, he sits down with Brad or with assistant coaches sometimes, and I just, I'll go 20 minutes without saying a word, and he's in these deep discussions about, boy, if this guy does this, well, then this guy has to die from the weak side. He's a, I mean, he just is, he's an ex and old freak, and he loves it, and he just can't get enough of it. Um, 
the thing that I try to hold him back a little bit on the air is sometimes I think he can get too technical because he's so enthusiastic about it. Um, but I'd much rather have a guy like that than a guy who's just sitting there staring at me like saying, what should I say next? Um, I so, was just going to comment yeah, on uh, – I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to comment on that because yeah. it was actually one of the things I was thinking about in listening to him is there are times – when he brings the X's and O's, and I definitely think there's a place for that because the NBA the NBA fan is becoming more educated about how the game is played. But you're right, it can go yep. too far, and then you know you're kind of out of bounds, so to speak. And you're not you have to remember that you have to appeal to a more general audience. But I think the thing that impressed me is he is, and and that's really I think one of the ways I realized he was evolving is he's able to weave in some of the X's and O's without staying on it for too long. He just kind of drops it in there, but it doesn't break the flow or the yeah. the natural progression of commentation uh, commentary. Yeah, well, you know, analytics are a part of the game now, and so you have to include them if you're going to have an understanding of why coaches are making decisions because this is the information base they're using to make their decisions on. And and he's very much up on, on the analytics and, and, and very much into it. You know, the the game of basketball, as, as we all know, is, is really not that hard to understand. What can become hard to understand is, is the lexicon of the coaches because they have this kind of changing language that comes around all the time. So you hear them, it's almost like they're talking but I would used to consider football terms of like, you know, well, we, you know, if you get a 27 right, what you do is you die from here and you split from here and you're going, whoa, whoa, what? Oh, you mean that guy comes over? Oh, I can understand. I can understand that when you say this guy moves from here to here. But when you talk talking about the, the language they use, it, it can be very confusing. It's like talking to doctors. Um, and and Scal is just, he holds his own in those discussions. I'm, I'm just really amazed sometimes when I watch him. Scal, Scal hopefully, for for as long as I continue to do this, I, I can't think of anybody else I want sitting beside me uh, next to Tommy uh, Scal. Uh, I, I just hope that for the rest of my career that I do this, Scal is here. But uh, Scal is... is top five analysts in the NBA right now, in my, my mind. Uh, and when you go around the league and he's just beginning to tap the surface of what he's capable of being, because as you say, he can be, he can talk X and O's. He can be funny. He can be, he, he can just be a lot of different things. He's a, he's a good kid. Uh, again, I don't mean to get carried away. I, I just could not be happier uh, with, with, with him sitting next to me. It's, it's great that you have sort of a seamless sort of uh, interchanging. I mean, I know they're two different people, but uh, Tommy and Scal have some similar personality traits, and I, I think that probably helps make it a little bit easier because you do have sort of a revolving door in that color commentary chair. Yeah, I know it does. And, and, and Tommy and, and, and Scal like each other, which is important. Um, and, and, and Scal is very respectful of Tommy and, 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 and again, watches Tommy and tries to learn from Tommy as to how Tommy gets in and out of situations. Because he talk, you know, sometimes he talks a lot, sometimes he talks a little, and just getting a feel and a rhythm for the game. You know, I, I, I told Scal early on, and, and this, we were talking about this last night, as a matter of fact, I told him this a year and a half ago when we first started working together. I said, pretend there's a third guy in the booth that you have to leave room for. Um, and then you'll really understand how much you should talk. 
And and he understands that now. He gets that now. He said, too many broadcasts, if you go on League Pass, and I don't mean to be critical of my peers, but too many broadcasts from my point of view uh, are just like, if I stop talking, you guys stop talking. So it's just constant chatter on the air all the time. Um, that's why I like, I like the idea of the invisible third man who, who is in the booth, but never says, says anything, but you got to leave room for him in case he does. Uh, and, and so when we do the games, there are times when he's not talking and I'm not talking and I'm very comfortable with that. And he's learned to become comfortable with that. Um, you know, you have to respect the viewer. You know, I, I, I got to believe you're watching the game. You know, I'm not. I'm not doing the game for somebody who's washing dishes in the kitchen. They can listen to Sean on the radio and they'll get a much better version of what's going on because they'll tell them everything. Um, I, I believe you're watching the game. So I got to let you watch it and not get in your way. I got to try to enhance your watching experience. And that's what Scal tries to do from an analytics point of view and analysis rather point of view is, is to enhance your experience, not to, not to dominate you, not to tell you where to look. You look where you want. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes we'll try to help you out with it. Sometimes we'll let you just look. <laughs> you know, I noticed that you do that. And, again, you've segued so perfectly because a great example of you and Scal having done that and him getting that message are – and maybe you can help John and I or just chime in on a debate that John and I have had on Twitter. <laughs> but with these flagrant calls, the waiting time is ridiculous to me. And I don't mean to get all hot takey on this. That was very but- that was very that was very Tom. That was very Tommy like. Right there. Ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous, though. And, and 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 I'm not even going where everybody else is going with it, which is they got to get the calls right. How can they? You know, they got Isaiah off the floor for the final three minutes. I mean, yeah, but to me, that's part of the game. The thing that drives me nuts is yeah. I got to sit around if I'm going to watch this thing live for five minutes while they figure that out, and then I'm going to watch free throws yeah. break the pace of play for the next six minutes. Sure. That is maddening to me. John disagrees because yeah. he feels like they got to get the call right, and I'm a little bit more on the side okay, of it's I'll a human you, game. I'll give you a good uh... – some good bullets for your argument there. The final three minutes of the Miami game the other night took 23 minutes to play. Ah, That's ridiculous. That was ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. There's, yeah. As you say, there's no rhythm. There's just not. And, and Zach Randolph did not deserve a flagrant two for that uh, no. last night. That was a flag, flagrant one, sure. Yep. But a flagrant two, no. <laughs> At that point in the game, come on. And, it, and even going back so, to the, the, yeah, the night earlier too. I mean, Isaiah's was was overdone. I mean, the, yeah. all, both of those games, there were I thought it was all those all those fouls were a degree more than they should have been. You know, Zach yeah, should have been a, take, a one and so forth. To take that long and then get it wrong and then turn right. around and reverse it the next day. Me <laughs> first. And, um, and you know, they they get mad. I know they do because they talk to me every once in a while. Um, they go like, you know, Mike, you guys can't be making fun of us while we're like trying to make the right decision. And, and I'm like, well, don't give us the time. You, you put us on the spot. We got like three minutes. What are we going to do? You see, we got three minutes of a shot on the screen of like two guys, one guy with a headphone on and two guys standing there like they're, I don't know, security guards. And, and they, uh, they're looking at the screen 
and it goes on and on and on. They show another angle. And they go, oh, it looks like it's a three. Well, let's look at another angle. Oh, it's not a three. They get a toe in the line. Well, come on. Just make the call and move on. Yes. Um, you, you're, invi- you're inviting us from, to get stupid. And <laughs> that's what we tend to do when we're given that much time to talk. And what are the other the announcers action, doing? Actually in front of us. And what are the other announcers doing when they feel an obligation to fill that space, whereas you've kind of, you know, gained this maturity in your broadcasting style where you can let the third man in the room not talk? Just imagine what the other guys are doing on those on on those lengthy periods of time. Uh, what they're trying, they, you know, we we get, we try to get breaks out of the way. We try to get scared, upcoming games. We try to get you know. Hey, Kyle's got some thoughts about what went on in the timeout huddle three minutes ago, five minutes ago. When was that? Five minutes ago, Kyle, something happened? Maybe they, <laughs> maybe they should, maybe they should overbook the halftime entertainment. And then anybody who doesn't fit in at halftime rolls in at the review. You know, they like get called up if there's, there's an opportunity. I mean, something's gotta, you know, you something's guys, gotta you, give. Speaking of entertainment, did you guys watch the San Antonio game? Oh, yeah. San Antonio? Yeah. How about I, the fact they play music all the time? Oh, all the friggin' time. Crazy. Unreal. Um, it's, 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 it's unreal. I don't know what the NBA was thinking when they, my understanding is when the subject came up, they said the home team can do what they want when they have the ball. Okay. Um, so, but San Antonio, given like what a great franchise it is and, and everything else, can, it just is horse feathers to have this, this, this music going on during the actual game. And, and then you, you get some idea of this guy sitting at, a, at an audio board here. As soon as the ball gets stolen away, he has to dump out of the music, you know, and he's, he's trying to make a slow transition because the audio guys think about stuff like that. Um, so the music kind of generally fades as the Celtics bring the ball up to court, and then he gets turned over to San Antonio. They start running the other way. The music comes back up. It's, it's really ridiculous. Wow. I don't understand why they allow them to do that. Um, but so, yeah, that just came to mind when you said about filling with the entertainment. Uh, yeah, maybe we ought to play some top forty music or something and just sit back and wait to see what happens. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do on the next show. Every time John starts to talk, I'll turn off the music, and then when I start to talk, I'll I'll play some music in the background so everybody gets all hyped up for. There you go. <laughs> now, now Scal tells me, which was great because we talked about this the other night on the air. He says, as a player, you don't hear it. You don't, you don't even, in fact, when I said, does the playing of the music bother you? He, his reply was, what music? I said, what music? Wow. The music we've been listening to for the last two hours. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh, I don't even, I, I don't even, I don't even hear it. Uh, so, I mean, that's obviously the, the guys who are on the court have their focus enough on the game that they, they're not thinking like, you know, that's a, I don't like that song. <laughs> I, I, you know, that should not be going through. As you're, as you're going back to play defense, you, you shouldn't be going like, oh, that's a bad mix. What else can they play? Um. <laughs> How, let me, it, it seems like you guys have been on the road a lot, like especially this last month. Oh, we have. What's we, up with we've that? We've been on the road. We've had more, more road games than anybody else in the league, uh, with the possible exception of San Antonio, because they had a ridiculous trip. Um, I don't know what's up with that. I do know... Uh, Again, because of the going back to the beginning of this discussion, because of the networks picking up games, we go from like the 26th of December to like January 17th, where we only have one road game. Hmm. It's, it's a trip to Toronto. 
because we, there's another game in Cleveland that's a, that's a, a TNT game that we don't broadcast, so we don't make the trip. Um, but we have a, a, almost two and a half weeks at home with like one game away from uh, Boston. So, you know, the first two weeks of January, if, if the Celtics can go win a game here tomorrow night um, and, and split between uh, Oklahoma City and the Knicks on Christmas Day, uh, they start a stretch of they can make some real noise in terms of making it a, th- a two-team race with uh, Toronto. Uh, but Toronto doesn't seem to want to lose. Every time I look up, they're blowing somebody out. Uh, they're playing very well. Yeah, do, hard I mean, to catch. Do, do you think the Celtics, this having seen them not play well for two months, almost two months now, do you think they have it within them to be that defensive team that we saw last year? You know, basically the second half of what we saw last, against the Grizzlies. Do you think they can do that over yeah. extended stretch to where they could be, you know, neck and neck with Toronto? Which I think a lot of us, myself included, thought that they would be neck and neck there with with the Raptors to to fight for that second seed in the East. Yeah, I think they can. I, th- I think one of the things that that uh, it, it sounds like you're stating the obvious with an air of discovery, as Bob Cousy used to say all the time, but. Um, <laughs> They need they need to stay healthy. Um, I think because I think when they're not healthy, when when they lose one of their key guys, the other guys get deflated a little bit, and, and it's kind of like oh we, we're not who we thought we we're going to be. We, you know, he's not in the lineup. I got to do this instead, so my game goes down a little bit. When the Celtics have the people, everybody healthy that they want on the floor, everybody again goes back. As I said in the beginning, it goes back to playing to their strengths, and when that happens, I think this is a I think this is a very good basketball team. I think that right now they're the third best team in the East, in my mind. I think they're better than Chicago, uh, they're better than Atlanta, they're better than anybody else. Detroit, I think they're better than, despite the fact that Detroit played a great game against the Celtics in Boston. Um, but they, but they need to stay healthy. They're, they're, they're vulnerable that way because I think, again, any injury to one of their five starters throws the other guys off kilter and they're just not the same team and they don't have the same aggressive personality. So if they stay healthy and, and, and last night's game against uh, Memphis turns out to be the kind of game changer attitudinally that Isaiah thinks it can be, then um, Celtics have a chance to go on a nice little run here. You know, the, uh, one thing I'll, I'll leave you guys with here is we get close to closing this how long we've been on the phone here? Three hours. I was just going to half. I was just going to wrap it up and put a bow on it for Christmas, Mike. You, seriously, you know exactly. I mean, it's like yeah. the old days. We'll we'll keep you on for a draft night show until midnight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the the one team I fear are the Knicks. Really, I think the Knicks have a chance to be. Yeah, I think the Knicks have a chance to be very good. Yeah. Oh. Um, mm, is it poor? I know. I know. Oh. But. Oh, it's it's Porzingis. He's he's special. He is he is special. Just imagine um, all those kids, all those fans booing. It's so crazy now. But I think you're right. I think he is special. Yeah. He's that perfect mix where you get the like you said, the Celtics don't have the length, and you also need the rebounding, and you're getting that out of him. You're you're getting a new age center yeah. with with all the size that you wouldn't normally get, and he's quick. Yeah. yeah. And they, and and they have Jennings, who Clyde Fraser I'll always remember this because said is a good bad shot shooter. Um, <laughs> say that slowly and you'll get the joke. There. <laughs> He's a good bad shot shooter, <laughs> um, but he is, and, and he can. Um, they, you know, if uh, Rose is healthy, 
and Carmelo is Carmelo, and Porzingis just is Porzingis. Uh, they got a lot of answers. They have, they have a chance to really be, I think, the fourth or fifth team in the East. They have, they, they have a chance to run for the number four spot and get home court in the first uh, round. I think they're that good. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have they're to back better, on. They're, better, they're better than Charlotte, in my mind. I agree with that. I, I think, that. I, I think Steve good. Steve Clifford does a wonderful job. I think Charlotte's a little bit. Yeah, I won't say they're a fraud, that is, mm-hmm. but but I just don't think they're as good as people thought they were. Uh, I think he does a great job coaching them. Uh, what he has, because if you look at that roster, once you get by Kemba Walker, there's not a lot of guys you say, "Oh, I really want that guy. I really want that guy." Um, he does a great job with that team. But uh, again, the Knicks would be. To me, are the biggest my biggest surprise. I didn't think they were going to be this good, and they're they're good. I I don't like the idea of playing on Christmas Day. I'd much rather be sitting at home cooking a turkey. But um, that's a good basketball game. I I look forward to that game. I wish it wasn't Christmas Day at noontime, but I really look forward to that game. Yeah, well, we'll all we'll all enjoy having you join all of our families on Christmas as we're all listening, opening right. presents and the like. So save, you know, save me some stuffing and gravy. With <laughs> I will, definitely. (laughs) Mike, thanks a lot as always. And I will say it was really great to see you. Uh, I guess it was about a month ago for the Influencers Night. Comcast Sportsnet New England did a really nice job of hosting not only myself and Nick Gelso, uh, among others, Sean Backey from CLNS Radio, but a number of other people raving reviews from everybody that night. Uh, Skip did a... Did a just oh, a remarkable great. job taking care of us, and it, it it was nice. And as always, uh, you're the consummate professional, throwing accolades and and compliments uh, in other directions. But uh, we really enjoyed it. You guys took great care of us, and it was nice to catch up with you again. Anytime, guys. You know, I enjoy this. Well, so I do we. My own jokes when I'm on with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Drop the mic. All right. That's right. Mike Gorman, everybody. <laughs> Television play-by-play voice of the Drop Boston the Celtics. So you can catch him at noon on Christmas Day. That's right, against the Knicks. The Celtics are going to look to uh, continue this brief winning streak that they've been on. So Mike Gorman once again joining us, John, and really some gems in there. He, he did say he always gets a little – a little more comfortable, a little bit looser on Celtics stuff live. And we did kind of, I don't know, I, I think we had fun. And he did give us, I guess we're going to be pushing over an hour for this show and almost all of it with Mike. But some some interesting stuff. You know, we knew his thoughts on, on Boogie Cousins, that's for sure. But and I thought maybe we might skirt away from that topic, but he jumped right back in it. He did. He, he he did not let us move past that question. He wanted to make sure everybody got his uh, got his take on that. And you know, I'm glad because look, everybody knows where Mike feels on Boogie, but I'm glad you know just to clarify. You know, hey, look, this is why I feel the way I do. 54 points, 13 rebounds. That's all great, but you know. Spitting both cards out and everything because we didn't really go into it, explain it. I guess we're going to put him in the Jeff in the Jeff Goodman camp then. <laughs> the Jeff Goodman <laughs> camp. Jeff Goodman is to Rondo as Boogie is to Mike. Maybe, maybe that's where we're at. All right, right I like that. I'll take that. It is funny. <laughs> I meant to make this point though when we were talking about the young players and how we get attached to to young players on the team. And I'm remembering the first time we cycled through this when Celtics Stuff Live was new, and I mentioned players like Delonte West. But if you remember, and he said, 
I'm not sure that you can have a whole bunch of 21-year-olds on a championship team. But Rajon Rondo and Kendrick Perkins were two very young players on a championship team. And if the Celtics do swing a deal, you can bet that some of these young players that we're talking about, a couple of them are still going to hang on. And as a result, they're going to end up having to play a major part in any kind of championship run, whether there's a trade or not. So I thought it was interesting. He seems to have a lot of love for Jermichael Green. That came up more than once so i think maybe we need to keep a a curious eye on that individual almost like danny's trying to make another jay crowder type of move yeah well there's definitely a need for that type of guy and and i think you know mike's trying to look at guys who are at the end of the bench and you know green was guy they could keep off the boards it's something we've seen a lot this year trevor booker was another guy um but Green is a guy who's, who's you know, there's some injuries there in Memphis, and perhaps he's getting a little bit more playing time than he normally would. Maybe those are the types of players you can try to spring for low money, because that's the issue is it's great to get to acquire players, but when we acquire players with, with committed salaries beyond this summer, that takes you out of the running for guys like uh, maybe Blake Griffin or Gordon Hayward or, or any of these other And star the players. fact that Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, all these guys, Marcus Smart, are going to want contract extensions. So if you're trying to make a play where you're going to be able to retain some of this core, and if, especially if you can't quite put it together to win a championship now, you're going to still need some pieces. That's a that's a great point. Probably another reason Nurkic and Jokic or those guys those came guys. up. Those yeah. guys came up in the discussion as well because similar kind of scenario. They definitely provide some rebounding, and and he seemed to show. I know Larry H. Russell on Celtics beat absolutely loves Nurkic and Jokic. A couple of targets that he's uh, he's always been locked in on. So I think Michael kind of Mike bringing that up as well as being a couple of players that. Just to your point, on the cheap, provide something that this team really needs and retains flexibility for a max free agent in the offseason. That's it. And, and, and I think, you know, those are maybe different categories of players. You're going to have to spend a, spend a lot to get a guy like Jokic or Nurkic. Um, a lot more for Jokic, but, but Nurkic to a lesser degree. And then probably the green being at the end of that, that listing of three guys. I think you're still going to have to give up some, some assets that, that maybe don't cost, aren't salary related, but maybe draft picks. Um, and that's you know, that's where we're at. So, but that's what what the team has to spend, and and that would keep right. them young. Maybe you kind of waffle both. Exactly. You straddle the uh, the win now and the youth movement all in exactly. one fight. You know, Gordon Hayward kind of fits into that if you're looking at an off season, you know, free agent acquisition as well. But we'll get into that. After the holidays and into the new year, we do, this is a bonus interview, but John and I are going to be taking the holiday off and in its place is this bonus interview. Plus we're going to have one more coming out Friday night, Saturday morning, somewhere in that stretch. Maybe, maybe, uh, the game day, Christmas morning. We'll see. But Adam Kaufman from Celtics at 7 on 98.5, the Sports Hub, is going to make his inaugural appearance on Celtics Stuff Live. So stay tuned for that. One more bonus show before the holidays. Then John and I will be back on January 2nd to kick off the new year and the stretch run to the postseason. John, so good to hear from Mike Gorman once again. Love having Mike. He is the number one Celtics Stuff Live Guests. Oh, Grandy. We're gonna have to kick kick off the new year with Grandy or, or he's just, (laughs) he's never gonna come back. No, he will. Cause you know why he will? 
because he's always he trying to, to get the number one spot. And we, <laughs> we always dangle it out there like a carrot in front of him, and then we pull it away at the last second. So, hey, he was our first guest as we came back. Uh, so maybe Sean should be our first guest uh, in the new year. Maybe. I don't know. We'll throw it out there. be great to have him back. It's been a little while. So maybe there's always – because, you know, because you know, always got to leave a little bit of – String there for the guys to try to get back. So I'm just saying, what we'd love to have him. I'd love to have you back, Sean. Oh, we'll definitely have him back. That's going to do it for this week. As we wrap, the broadcast is going to be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in, and you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a rating and a review. We want your feedback. And today's show brought to you by Audible.com as well as BlueApron.com. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners. Most importantly, you would be supporting our show and the entire network. A big thanks to the loyal CLNS radio audience who makes it all all worthwhile for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.